welcome to The Little MBA, where we prepare the little MBA in your life for a future in business. On today's episode of our podcast, we are delighted to welcome Chris Mead. Chris is the co-founder and CEO of Sports Recruits, an online network that revolutionizes the athletic recruiting process. With a mission to unite student athletes, coach coaches, and event organizers within a single network, Sports Recruits aim to open doors of opportunity for everyone involved in the athletic recruiting journey. We're excited to delve into Chris's journey, the hurdles he's surmounted, and the invaluable insights he's gained in shaping a thriving enterprise. Welcome to The Little MBA. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. My name is Chris Mead. I am co-founder and co-CEO of Sports Recruits. We are one of the largest online networks connecting high school student athletes with college opportunities. And we have been in business now over 12 years. From the very beginning, the mission has been to empower student athletes to pursue their dreams. We had great experiences growing up around sports. I had the opportunity to play college athletics. And it really changed the trajectory of my life and gave me a ton of opportunity. We've built a business and I've built a lot of my life around providing that opportunity for others. That's amazing. With your business, how is this something that parents find out about? Is it because their students are involved in sports and they learn about it through the grapevine or they're in club sports and some elite teams? Tell me a little bit more. Yeah, our target audience is really ninth grade through seniors in high school, making their journey through the recruiting process. For any family that's participated in sports, it can be a life-consuming thing. There's a bunch of different touch points for us. Yes, we work with clubs and travel organizations or large tournaments, camps, and showcases, but there's a ton of referrals, a ton of word of mouth. We have hundreds of thousands of users on the platform, tons of college coach engagement, and it really does become a small community where if you are in a local coffee shop and you bumped into a parent of a high school athlete, there's a pretty good chance that their son or daughter is on sports recruits. Excellent. What sport did you play in college and how did you end up on this entrepreneurial journey? I played lacrosse in college. We played a lot of sports. The joke would always be that my mom was in charge of academics. My dad was the athletic director. And we just had a lot of fun. I have a younger brother. So we were always playing basketball in the driveway and baseball and surfing and all of these different things. Sports definitely played a big part of it. But I also spent a lot of time growing up in family businesses. My grandfather had a property management company. My dad had a real estate company. He did construction. And we grew up on this small island called Fire Island off the South Shore of Long Island. Everybody who lived out there year round was tied to local businesses. There was really this entrepreneurial spirit amongst the community. I definitely felt a part of that. Started working really early, cleaning my grandfather's shop, sweeping, putting parts away, keeping inventory. We were introduced to business pretty early and really set a tone for expectations growing up. 
That's great. Did you know that you always wanted to be an entrepreneur and did you go to college with that in mind or was that something that evolved? No, I think there was a lot of lessons that were learned early from selling to customer service to just understanding how businesses worked, which was just part of day-to-day or week-to-week activity. That was pushed down on us a lot too, from selling seashells to wagoning was a big thing on Fire Island. Everyone comes off the ferries with all of their stuff from New York City. And they're like, okay, well, how do we get to our house? As an eight or nine-year-old, you'd be there with your big wagon, pulling people's luggage up to their house for a tip. There's a lot of things that was just part of day-to-day life. I always really enjoyed team sports, being on a team, being a leader within a team. They're all foundational tools that makes a lot of sense now running a company. Although when I went to college, I went to a liberal arts school. I studied international relations. I was just a kid who grew up on a small island who was just trying to imagine the world outside of his little bubble. I really enjoyed studying all of those things. But even in college, we did entrepreneurial things. We were selling t-shirts at homecoming. We were doing deals with the local pizza place in the bar to get people to go on Wednesday night. We were always doing these things to hustle and make some side money. And in hindsight, you know, those were probably all little steps that were built off of us selling seashells and wagoning and working for my dad or grandfather growing up. Wonderful. When you graduated from college, did you work for others before you launched your company? I'd say things were a little bit different when I graduated college versus today. I think with how prominent technology and venture and this like startup world is very different. And not that I'm super old. I graduated college in 2005, but The path in 2005 was pretty straightforward. You're either going towards a graduate degree, you were going into finance, you were going into consulting. And I went to college in Connecticut and you were either going to Boston, New York, Chicago, or LA. And those were the paths that all of my buddies were on that I was on. I ended up working for a commercial real estate company, Cushman & Wakefield. At the time, they had this two-year training program. I was able to learn a lot of different parts of this large commercial real estate business from the brokerage side to property management to capital markets. And it was an introduction to a lot of different things within the real estate and the finance world. I would say it took me about nine to 12 months to realize that this was not how I was going to spend the next 20 years of my life. And at that time, I was working a lot. I was in a suit every day. And for a kid who grew up out at the beach in a very laid back and very entrepreneurial atmosphere where my dad, my grandfather, everyone made their own work schedules and everyone worked a lot, but it was on their time. I was planning on going back to business school. I thought that I was going to do real estate development. And there's a lot of interesting um, community building opportunities at that time. So I was planning on getting my MBA and a master's in urban planning. And that was my grand plan. I was fun to tell everybody at cocktail parties or family barbecues. But I had a few months before I was supposed to start those programs. And I got roped into coaching high school lacrosse. 
and I started helping families through the recruiting process, I found something I was really passionate about and I was able to pull in new technology and YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, all of those were really taking off. I was like, why don't we apply what's happening here in the technology world into the recruiting space? And it really took on a life of its own. That's amazing. What has most surprised you about running your own company? I have been very fortunate. I started the business with one of my best friends from college. We played lacrosse together. We were captains of the lacrosse team together. We just spent a lot of time together and we work very well. And it's been a positive partnership. I used to joke and say, oh, we're going to be doing this until we're 40 years old. And now 40, I think we might be doing this until we're 50 or maybe longer. The biggest surprise was that I found something that I was passionate about and it has been this good blend of helping others, love for sports, love for business, love for teams. And I'm able to live in that world every day. There's definitely days where it drags and I wish I was doing other things, but for the overwhelming majority, it has been a positive experience that has been very fulfilling. One of the things that's been really interesting and I want to really share with families and parents is that for kids that are interested in sports, there are so many paths besides only being an athlete. You could be in finance, financial planning. You could be in management. You could be in recruitment. You could be in software development. There's so many different aspects. It's really amazing just how much foundational skills are learned from playing team sports. And obviously I'm such a strong proponent of that. And that was such a big part of my experience. But at some point, individual contributors come out of college and you have to be good at a certain skill set or a range of responsibilities. And then at some point, you're making a decision where you're going to either be an individual contributor or you're going to learn to manage other people. Many people struggle with that transition. I think being on teams, learning to work with others, being coached, getting feedback, giving others feedback, those are all things that are such dynamic life experiences that kids get playing sports or being part of a, a small business, working jobs growing up that it really pays off. Maybe not in college or maybe not at the first two years out of school, but now all of a sudden you're in your mid-20s, you're in your late 20s, and you have to manage four people. And what I've seen is people who are able to take those experiences have an easier transition and something that I think a lot about, and I'm very grateful for those experiences. That's great. And certainly ways that are really applicable to gain those lights and executive functioning skills. I'm sure as an entrepreneur, no day is exactly the same, but running sports recruits, what does that look like? Do you spend most of your time in meetings with others? What does somebody in your role really do on a day-to-day -day basis? It's changed through different periods of the company from 1 to 20, it was different. From 20 to 40, it was different. Now, there's about 50 people at the company. We are fully remote post-COVID, so that's one thing. I'm in my home office slash laundry room right now, 
my direct reports at this point are head of sales and then our CEO. We have a leadership team of about seven people. I spend a lot of my time interacting with the leadership team and then my direct reports multiple times a day. From a management perspective, those are my touch points within the company and spend a lot of time on the revenue creation and customer experience and retention. And I spend a lot of time on partnerships. I've really enjoyed managing people. I've always had a sales tilt, partnerships, new ventures. I spend most of my time thinking about how we're going to increase our user base, get more video on our platform, more engagement from college coaches and drive more revenue. We have partnerships with coaches associations, with governing bodies, quarterly board meetings. I'm on a plane traveling once a week. The other side of it is I have a six and three-year-old and we made the transition to fully remote as a company. And I dropped my three-year-old off at nursery school every morning at nine o'clock. They get picked up at 4.45 and I get to do that. And they say, your kids grow up very quickly. We're definitely feeling that. It's one of the big benefits of creating a company and creating the world that you want to live in to be able to do some of those things. Definitely. I like the way you phrased that a lot. I've spent a lot of time thinking through the question, if you could design your life, what does it look like starting from waking up to going to bed at night? Who are you spending your time with? How are you using that time most effectively in the way that you want to? Designing your life is really one of the things that entrepreneurship is all about. And like you, I find that I'm able to go to a school function Maybe I'll be working until three in the morning that night, but hey, that's on me. I can maximize that work-life integration. I call it integration rather than balance. I, I don't have as much balance in my life as I do integration because they all flow together in my world. And I think it's really important for me to share my experiences in business and for them to be able to observe what it looks like for their mom to be running a business and working with others in business and learning how to start a business and learning about different careers. Absolutely. I think a lot about that because we grew up in my grandfather's shop, cleaning the shop, helping with invoicing, stuffing envelopes. And that was very hands-on. He owned a plumbing business, an electric business, and appliances. And now with young kids, they listen to me sometimes take work calls on the phone, or they're joining a Zoom when we're driving, or they know that when Mike calls my phone that they grab me and they know what a CO is. But yeah, I think it is an integration of your family, things you enjoy doing, how you can fit all of that together is probably one of the biggest wins from entrepreneurship. Absolutely. There's a saying, something like we're the only people that are willing to uh, work 80 hour weeks so that we don't have to work 40 hour weeks. That's very fair. And it's funny you're talking about working until the early hours of the morning. Our three-year-old, when he sneaks out of his bedroom upstairs, he will fall asleep on this couch behind me when I'm getting work done late into the evening. It's a bunch of sacrifices, but it is 100% worth it. That's terrific. One of the things that you've mentioned 
are the businesses that your family has had along the way. Many of those sound like trade or service businesses with an electrical business. Perhaps your grandfather was installing electrical components or doing plumbing work for clients. Tell us about the business model and how that works. Sure. We have one of the largest networks of student athletes and college coaches. For most people, the easiest way to think about that is a LinkedIn experience for professionals. Pretty much it's the same concept with student athletes. They play for these travel organizations and then for college coaches. The foundation of that model is we monetize student athletes and the organizations that they play for basketball, travel lacrosse, travel volleyball. All of these travel organizations exist with two promises. One, they're going to help your son or daughter become a better athlete. Two, they're going to help place them in college. Our software helps them deliver on that placement promise. The same way I use Salesforce to manage our sales team, these club organizations use sports recruits to manage the recruiting process of all their student athletes in their organization, and then all of the staff tied to those student athletes. We have a B2B SaaS solution that sells into those orgs, and those orgs build our fee into their annual dues, and we get paid by those orgs. That's the largest revenue line of our business. The other side is if a family is not tied to one of those travel organizations, they can sign up on their own for an annual membership to sports recruits. Those are really the two ways that we're monetizing. College coaches don't pay to access our platform with any network. You have the chicken and egg scenario where we need college coaches to make sports recruits a part of their daily, weekly, monthly recruiting routine. We want that to be as easy as possible. So that's how our business works. It's been pretty good. Excellent. I am sure that many entrepreneurs love to read and stay on top of industry news. What's your favorite book and what book most inspired you? It's interesting because youth sports, it's small. There's a ton of money that changes hands and gets spent on an annual basis. But the companies that have come into the space for a youth sports technology perspective, we're talking about hundreds of companies where we are very tied into that ecosystem. I do spend time reading sports business journal and things like that. If I'm reading, it's outside of my industry. I read a lot of biographies, industrialists, technologists from Theodore Roosevelt to Carnegie. We were just talking about the Joseph Kennedy book, talking about all of the things that he achieved, what he did with his kids, and then obviously all of the complications to him as a person and as a father figure. I spent a lot of time reading biographies. I think it's inspiration for how you want to live your life, how you want to think about business, what you're willing to do. I think just taking a constant look at what your priorities are and what you're willing to do to achieve certain things. And that's been very different at different points in my life. You go back to my late 20s when we were getting the business off the ground and we traveled, we worked 
like absolute madmen. Then you take a look right now. And for me to try to paint a picture to a 28-year-old Chris Mead that, hey, you're going to be driving your son to nursery school from 8.45 to 9.15. You're not going to be on sales stand-ups at nine every morning. You're not going to be working in between five and 6.30 because that's when you make dinner for the kids. It's tough to imagine those things, but it's good to counterbalance that with, I think, historical inspiration. Going back to the books, and I think that was broad strokes. The books that I give to people, I give High Output Management by Andy Grove to everyone who's trying to figure out management, because I think it is the easiest way to wrap your head around all of the pieces that go into effective management. The founder of Patagonia's book, Let My People Go Surfing. Yes. Absolutely amazing. Just a contrarian way to look at building an amazing business and brand and following your desires and interests, I think is another one that was really eye-opening to me. Yeah, I have all sorts of book recommendations that that I could go into and spending way more time on books about relationships, about how to live your life, how to think about priorities, not just, hey, how are we going to grow our business 100% in the next three years? It's all part of a process, and it's probably a difficult thing for a middle schooler or an elementary student to wrap your head around, but probably a little bit easier as you become a parent and you're navigating life. Definitely. And absolutely understand we all go through phases and those priorities change along the way. And it sounds like some of those books really help set you on that path for the areas in which you're going to prioritize. How do you go about then tracking against those goals? Let's say you've used those resources, you've come up with some really critical priorities in your life. How do you fit those into your busy schedule and make sure that they happen in an ongoing way? What tips and tricks have you discovered? I don't have any master plan for all those. And I probably struggle with this as as much as the next person. The things that I have done consistently since my early 20s, I write what I'm grateful for every morning, or I used to do it before bed. That was before I had kids and bedtime is always a struggle. So it's now easier for me to do that in the morning. And I think that's just a great way to just start the day off thinking about something positive and sets the tone for the day. On New Year's, I do resolutions. I try to get people at work to do resolutions. I also do one, five, and 10-year goals that I update on an annual basis. Some of that stuff works and some of that stuff doesn't work. And I've done that for a long time. I've started doing that in college. And I've always had the perspective of maybe if I don't reach this goal or maybe it's this audacious thing, but I come close, like 80% of the way towards some of those goals is still really good. So those are two things that I've done that just force me to be on track. And 
I'm very open about it. My wife knows about it. The people I work with know about it. So there's an accountability system there. And then the other thing I think a lot about is you are a collection of the five people you spend the most time with. I try to be very careful about who those five people are and how they're going to either inspire me or help keep me accountable or just keep me grounded. And I think that's another huge thing. Definitely. And those people can help make you a better person as Uh, well. A hundred percent, because sometimes the easiest thing is to get wrapped up in your little entrepreneurial like tech bubble and you're doing conferences and you're doing these meetings and you're doing all these things. And then it's really nice to be brought back to my buddy who's coaching three lacrosse teams and he's on the town football board. It's a different path than what I'm doing, but it is so important and it's great to have that in your life. Absolutely. One of the things that over the years I've discovered is most important to me as a trait within these five people is that all of my closest friends are extremely passionate about whatever it is that they do. It doesn't have to be the same thing that I do, but it's really important to me that everybody is passionate about it and wants to be the best version of themselves in pursuing that goal and that interest. That makes a ton of sense to me. As you go through these goals, some of them you've achieved 80%, some of them you've probably achieved 120%. Sometimes when we reach the 80% mark, I guess for myself personally, I say, oh man, I didn't reach that milestone that I had set for myself. But how do you stay positive and how do you celebrate the 80% as a win, knowing that if you hadn't put that goal out there in the first place, you probably would only be at 10% or maybe 0% since you wouldn't have even focused on it? That's a good question. Setting the goals and achieving 80%, that could be you were in a different place and you had different expectations or different desires when you set that goal. And I see that with my five and 10-year goals from when I was 26 years old or 31 years old to 38 years old. I think understanding the positives that even got you to 80%. And I think physical goals or trying to run a marathon or a half marathon, those are actually probably the easiest because you have now, okay, you're drinking less because you're running and training. You're sleeping better because you're running and training and being grateful for kind of all of the ingredients that went into even being able to get to 80% there. There's being hard on yourself because you didn't achieve that last 20%. And there's a time for that too, because then you can have that look in the mirror and you're like, maybe I didn't work hard enough. Maybe I didn't prioritize this enough. Or you could look at it as the 80% allowed me all of these learning experiences. And now I'm so much better positioned to be able to do this next thing in the next year and the next five years. I think the time to evaluate all of the things that went into getting there. Did you have to work with others? Were positive and supportive in helping others to achieve? Because that happens a lot too, where for us to achieve anything with our business, 
there's only so much I can do. I joke, what's my job? I'm the greatest cheerleader. I am the greatest supporter. That's what I'm trying to do because now there's six other people on the leadership team that are impacting the business. And if I want to achieve anything at our company, everyone has to be on board and I have to make sure that they are motivated and they want to achieve those things. It's interesting because I think as you get older, you probably are able to look at some of those misses in a positive light where you probably weren't mature enough to really be able to put that, that together earlier in life. Great answer. I absolutely agree with you and so important. Along the way, I'm sure that mentors have helped and advised you at various stages in your career. What is the best advice that you have ever received? There's a couple that I mentioned when I talk to friends or I talk to people at the company. My, my grandfather would always talk to me about, oh, do you remember when you had 60 people on the platform? Do you remember when you told me you had 300 people on the platform being able to bring yourself back to be positive about all of the things that you've achieved because it is tough. It is a long road and being able to go back and put into perspective how far you've come. So how do you do that, Chris? In terms of practicing gratitude every morning, do you have a journal or a notebook that you write those down in every day so that you can go back and say, hey, look at that. One year ago on this date, I was grateful for X, Y, Z. And now I have doubled that. Look at how far I've come. It's funny. At different points, I've used Evernote for a long time. And I've done what I'm grateful on my phone or on my laptop. I have Moleskin books that are sitting in a drawer in my bedroom that I've filled. I think the best learnings or understandings is that what it's actually about is the routine of gratitude and where it puts me from a mental perspective going into every day. And that is the purpose of it. And that matters more than anything else. Because I think earlier in life, I would write, I'm grateful. And I'd be like, oh, my kids are going to find these books someday. And my grandkids, and they're going to be, oh, Chris's life was amazing. Then there's a part where I'm like, nobody's going to care what I was grateful for on the third Tuesday in February. I think just the act of doing it is the actual benefit. And I don't go back too often. I have done it, but I think it's more of just a positive routine. And I try to put it in a perspective where it's always about going forward and not necessarily having to go back. I like that. How long do you spend on the gratitude practice every morning? Oh, it's minutes. It, and it could be as silly as my wife and I were in our, you know, three and a half year olds nursery school class yesterday. We had a make believe birthday party for him because his birthday is in August. Teacher just picks a random date. We went in, we had a dance party and being able to go and do that. But it ranges. It could be from things with the kids to business wins to 
relationships with family and it could be very light or our roses just started blooming here on Long Island. I'm pretty pumped about that. I think that routine might just be different at this stage in my life where it's very much like the routine. It makes me happy. It puts a smile on my face and it's a good place to just start the day. That's excellent. I also practice gratitude and I practice intentionality as well. What is my intention for the day? And what are the three things I'm going to do today to move my goals forward? What I do is I actually incorporate it into the Alexa alarm in the morning so that it's programmed as part of the wake up process so that I remember to do it and don't get distracted along the way. Yeah, it's a challenge and running a business, there's so much stuff that happens. And I think phones make it very easy to be probably more engaged or involved than probably healthy sometimes. So they're like the other great things. I just have my do not disturb. I can't be on my phone until 730 in the morning because that was insane for me. I was waking up at six with our little guy and I was like, I don't know. I have this hour and a half with them. Why should I be on Wall Street Journal or why should I be checking my email right now? There's legitimately nothing that I'm going to do in the next 90 minutes that's going to change anybody else's life. We can deal with this at 745 this morning. Excellent. What advice would you give to others who may want to follow in your footsteps, become an entrepreneur, follow their passion for sports and business? I really believe that the world is your oyster and you can make your life whatever you want it to be. But I think it takes a lot of time having conversations and learning about what those paths could be and then going and exploring those things. The suggestions I make to recent grads or undergrads in college is just go into New York, use the alumni directory, and just invite people to have coffee with you and spend 30 minutes and learn about different careers and learn about different paths. What was the best decision you made? What was the worst decision you made? And I think understanding the opportunities that are out there and understanding the opportunities and sacrifices to achieve the things that you want to achieve is probably the most important thing that you could be doing. And it's really just understanding and doing. I think there's a huge opportunity to learn, to get advice, to get guidance, to just understand what the range of possibilities that you're going down this path. But then the other side of it is you do it, you commit, and you're just trying to do the best you can, solve a problem. And you're trying to find a problem that you want to solve that's really important to you. Excellent. Along the way, you asked two great questions there. What is the best decision that you ever made? I'll give you the two-part answer. The best decision is getting married to my wife, which I think is probably the stock answer, but what we have been able to do together to build a family and build a life, I would not have been able to do that without her 
And my business partner, I joke about it all the time. Our wives deserve so much credit for all of the stuff that we put them through in the early days of sports recruits. And it was crazy. So a really strong partner who is supportive, let us follow our dreams. I think that's a big one. When I was in college, I had people ask me in my early 20s, Chris, what do you want to do with your life? I remember answering, just saying like, I don't know, whatever I end up doing, I'm going to be good at it, but I'm not sure what it's going to be. And it was like a crazy answer, but it took time to figure out what that was going to be. And I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And it was, I love sports, but I don't want to be a lacrosse coach. I didn't love the X's and O's and the game planning, but I loved sports. And I went into this corporate finance world and I really like business, but I don't want to be this guy in a suit in 20 years in this office. And then technology, this is cool. My grandfather got me my Apple 2GS when I was in second grade. And we grew up in a world with desktop computers, early internet. And then all of a sudden it was like, this technology, this sports stuff, and this business stuff is this unique opportunity that I have the ability to take advantage of all three of these things and at least see if it's going to work. We were committed to going down that path and it was our path and it was a unique path. I'd say it's not always going to be, oh, you love lacrosse, you should be a lacrosse coach. Oh, you love business, you should go into business. That process was probably my entire life, but really I spent six years just like banging away on that idea of what do I want to be doing and what is going to make me happy. Not everybody is going to bang away on that idea for six years, and maybe that's going to come sooner. It might be 15 years for others, but it, it takes time and those ideas are out there. I love that you found the intersection and the Venn diagram of all of the passions and brought her to your company that is thriving today. So what was the worst decision that you made along the way? The worst decision was being impatient, especially in the early days. You want everything to happen so fast. There are things you can control and there's things that you can't control. I think patience is really important. You just wanted everything to happen at first and you wanted to be successful and you wanted the company to work. And yeah, we did partnerships or we made hires that looking back, we should have never made. I think that that was probably the biggest mistake for us. Understood. I always say that patience is a virtue that I don't have. And I find that being an executive search and recruiting, um, certainly getting to talk to a lot of people, interview them, learn their stories. It's amazing. But one of the things that really drives me is that I'm not the most patient. And so therefore I pick up the phone and I call lots of different people to try to find out the answer or to recruit the right executive more quickly. Where can our listeners learn more about sports recruits? Anybody can go and visit Sports Recruits at sportsrecruits.com. We're on all of the social channels as well. But if you have a son or daughter that is a student athlete, you can start a free profile on Sports Recruits. 
You can learn all about different opportunities in a given sport. It's a great way to at least create a framework for if I wanted to go down this recruiting path, what are the things I need to be doing? And all the tools are there. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Chris, for your time today. Subscribe to our podcast and social media channels. And as extra credit, if you feel so inclined, give us a thumbs up or share our episode on social media channels at The Little MBA.